Well, I don't know about you, but I could use some healing. I could use some serious healing. And um, I'm really excited about the word tonight. I, oh, I forgot the book in my office. But I wanted to let you guys know that this three-week series is going to be um, mainly based out of mainly based out of a book called Courage to be Healed by Mark Rutland. I'm going to be doing up pulling from other sources as well, but mainly out of that book. And I, I wanted to hold it up. It's in my office. I'll try to remember it next week. But um, that's going to be where we're mainly pulling our, our information from. And this book is very good. This teaching is very good. So let's start by reading Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26 tonight. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to see Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God's ex- God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Jesus is in this house. The house is full. It's packed, right? We, get, we understand that part of the story. But at the beginning of the story, it says, Jesus was full of power to heal. But who was in the house that day? The, the text tells us who the house was full of. The, the people that were in the house. Do you remember the, the type of people that were in the house? It's Pharisees. And it was the leaders of religious law. The rabbis, maybe some understudies, some, some of their disciples, people who were leaders of religious law and Pharisees. But the Bible says that Jesus was full of power to heal in that place. But, but here was the problem is that Jesus' most sophisticated and adversarial audience had packed this house. His, his enemies had packed the house. 
He wanted to heal. He had the power to heal. He, he was ready to heal. But nobody in that house that night received any healing. There was somebody who received healing that night, but he couldn't get in the house. Couldn't figure out how to, how to get in the house. So his friends broke the roof open, lowered him down, and God, he got healed. But Jesus could not heal the audience because of their disputing hearts. That's very important for us to understand tonight. Is that he can't heal those people who have an argumentative heart toward him. He's, he, can't, he can't do it. There's different kinds of variables when it comes to healing. I think we understand the two that I'll list really quickly here because it's preached a lot, which is faith and Jesus, <laughs> right? Those are two very important variables when it comes to healing, faith and Jesus. But I want to talk about the third variable that I believe must be present for healing to take place. And the third variable is this, your courage to get healed. If ever, you were, have, if, if ever you've been sick, whether actually physically sick or emotionally sick, hurting some inner dealings, inner life struggles, doesn't matter what it is, it is hard to admit you need healing. Is anybody else stubborn like me? You ever got, start getting sick and you're scared to tell your spouse that you're feeling sick? And so for half the day, you hide it? Why do we do that? We don't want to disappoint them. We don't want to say, hey, oh, I, think I'm, I think I'm getting sick. Why, what does that mean? That means I'm going to go to the room. I'm going to lay down. I'm not taking care of the kids. I'm not cleaning up after dinner. All right? So if I tell her I'm getting sick, oh, she's not always responding with love. I mean, my spouse, we're not perfect, right? You're getting sick? What? What's wrong? It's so annoying, you know? It's so annoying that you're sick. So, so we don't want to admit I'm sick. I don't want to tell her I'm sick. She's going to get frustrated with me. She's going to get mad at me. She's not going to be like, she doesn't have, she's good. And, and we hide, we hide sickness. We hide inner uh, uh, problems too. I don't like telling people how I'm struggling internally. I don't go around saying, hey, I went to counseling today. I went to a, I went to a therapist today. I'm, I'm depressed. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that. That takes courage. It takes courage to say, I am sick. I need healing. Courage is a major, major component to anybody getting healed. I got a question for you tonight. Who wants to stand up right now and admit you're desperately lacking and weak 
in front of everyone right now? Majority in here would be like, absolutely not. I'm just not in the mood for that right now. You know, I don't want to do that. It's true. And, and the truth is, is that 99% of people in this room right now don't want to do that. They don't want to, they don't want to take, that takes courage. Healing takes courage. That man who began to be let down through the roof, I guarantee you if, if his friends were like, we're, let's just name him Dan. Dan, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get you in this house. We're gonna get you in this house. There's no room. So what we're gonna do is we've come up with a plan. We're gonna we're gonna he's crippled, right? We're gonna carry you up to the roof. And immediately you're like, Dan's like, what if they drop me? I don't know if I want to. I don't. I don't. I'm crippled. Crippled people don't like to go up high, right? We're gonna go on the roof, and there's no place to get you through the roof. So we're going to start to cut a hole in the roof. We're going to disrupt the meeting with Jesus in there talking. We're going to ruin this guy's house. Now lots more concern. The crippled man's thinking to himself, okay, first of all, no, I don't think I want to go up on a roof. If you slip and fall and I fall, I'm good as dead or I'm hurt more than that right now. Then uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to disrupt the meeting like that. That's rude. And do we have money to fix this guy's roof after we ruin it? I don't have a steady income. This is Dan's thoughts, right? This is, a, this is crazy. So all his friends are telling him the plan, and then we're going to let you down on the mat slowly and carefully, and I guarantee you if Dan said, I don't want to do that, the, his friends would have been like, okay, then we won't. Dan was, Dan, I can't believe I named him Dan. Dan was courageous. Dan had something in him where he, he had finally hit the point where he was so tired of being sick that he was willing to do whatever it took. He was courageous. He was courageous to get his healing. It takes guts to look inside yourself and see what's wrong with you. It takes guts to do that. There was a Christian counselor, true story. All my stories are true. There was a Christian counselor who was counseling with a woman who had been divorced five times. And she was so broken from all these divorces. She knew internally at this point in her life, she is so broken and she's really messed up and she does not see things clearly anymore. And it just so happened to be that every single one of her husbands, all five of them turned into raging alcoholics, which created major internal issues within herself. She thought, what you know, oh man. And so she goes to a counselor and she says, t- just starts, sits down and starts just telling the counselor her story, her story. And she just begins to say, I hate men, pigs, dogs. They're the worst. I hate, and he's just going on and on and on. And the counselor stops her and says, I've only been with you for 10 minutes and I think I need a drink. (laughs) And he was able to help this woman see that it wasn't all her husband's fault. Five divorces means something's wrong with me. I think I 
am the problem. And it takes guts to see there's a problem inside of yourself which is causing the chaos in your life. There's something else, too, tonight that is hard to face. Is the realization and the reality that not everyone wants you healed. I've come to learn that people don't like change, especially change that wasn't their idea. Everybody likes change that was their idea. When the wife, when the husband comes home from work and the wife has an idea to paint the house a brand new color, it's the greatest idea in the world because it was her idea. But not everyone likes change. And not everyone likes to see their close friends grow, move on, get healed, become strong, and achieve more out of life. Sometimes not everyone around you wants you healed. And the reality is, is that not everyone wants to see you succeed. Not everyone wants to see you get rich. Not everyone wants to see you do great things. Does everybody know the, the, the former football player, quarterback, Michael Vick? Has anybody heard of Michael Vick, the quarterback? Michael Vick was from West Virginia. He grew up in a small town, close community. He ended up being an athletic uh, savant, so to speak, genius athletically with his body. He ends up getting drafted into the, into the NFL to play quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. And all of a sudden, you know, is, is given a $20 million check. But Michael Vick had an had an incredibly difficult time leaving his past behind. He felt guilty for being rich. He felt guilty for living in a big house. He felt guilty for leaving his friends and family who were back in West Virginia. He felt guilty that he was sleeping in an air conditioning room when all of his friends and most of his family were sleeping in a hot summer West Virginia home. He felt so guilty he felt so guilty. Did you know that he never actually bought a house in Atlanta, even though he played for the Atlanta Falcons for years? That every single weekend after practice on Thursday, he would fly home to West Virginia to be with friends and family. Felt so guilty. And he, he, he couldn't escape his past. He couldn't let go of his past. His friends didn't want him to let go either. His friends would pull him back, pull him back. And his friends weren't good people. They were into things like drugs and dog fighting and, and all this stuff. He ends up uh, getting caught with all these like 200 dogs in his property and being mistreated. They were buried everywhere. And there was dog fighting rings and he couldn't escape his past. And he ends up going to jail for two years, right at the height of his athletic career as an NFL football player. And they asked him, what, You're, what is going on, bro? He finally admitted it. He said, I just couldn't, I couldn't leave my past behind. I had an incredibly difficult time being successful, knowing that nobody else around me was. And they didn't want him to be successful either. They pulled him back. They pulled him back. The religious leaders and the Pharisees in this room 
They did not want that man healed. And they didn't want that man healed. They, they have a theo- these Pharisees and, and religious leaders, they have a, a theology that people are sick as punishment from God for their sins. So you can see it as you read the, old, the Gospels. They ask the question to Jesus quite a bit. Why is this man sick? His sin or his parents' sin? What was Jesus' answer? Neither. Neither, you bigots. You jerks. <laughs> what is wrong with you? How frustrating, right? So as a sick man comes down, what do they see? They see a man full of sin. But what does Jesus do when he enters the floor? He says to him, what is the first thing he says to him? Your sins are forgiven. That's messing with their theology. Then he says, okay, what's the, what's the easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? And he, just does, he, does it, he says, well, stand up and walk. And he heals the man. Some people don't want you healed. Jesus wants you healed. Maybe that set somebody free just now. I think about the story in the Bible with the woman who had the issue of blood. According to religious law, a woman who was bleeding had to be separate from the town. She could not touch a man. And it was actually said that if she touched a man of God while bleeding, that God was going to strike her dead. Like some lightning bolt from heaven or, you know, heart stop, just whatever. That was the theology they had. So that's the theology this woman's taught. 12 years of bleeding, can't come into town, can't touch a man, can't be close to a man, cannot be close to a religious person, can't touch people, can't go to the marketplace. She's slowly dying, not just from bleeding, but you got to imagine malnutrition, starvation, uh, uh, isolation, loneliness. The list goes on and on and on and on for this woman who's struggling. But what does she do, which according to the theology of the Pharisees and, and religious leaders, what does she do that should have killed her? She touched the hem of Jesus. She should have died. That was their theology. That was their mindset. That's what they taught. It was wrong, but that's what they taught. So she pushes through the crowd. She pushes through her theology. She pushes through the religious ideology of her day, and she touches Jesus. But what happens to her when she touches Jesus? She doesn't die. She gets healed. Not everyone wants you healed. If she would have died upon touching Jesus, the Pharisees would have rejoiced. Think about that. How crazy, how terrible are these people? They're the worst. Not everyone wants you healed, but Jesus wants you healed. I want to teach you tonight about five toxic rivers that flow out of people's lives. And they are listed as followed. And I'll put up a a slide. I think it just went up, actually. They're the, they're the ones on the left. Here's the five. This is from the book. So good. There's, these are the five toxic rivers that flow out of our lives. Shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. And shame 
derives its power from the word next to it, which is deception. You, if you've ever been deceived, you'll be full of shame. You'll feel shameful for something. Like the woman with the issue of blood. She was full of shame for touching Jesus. You know her response? Jesus said, who touched me? I felt, I felt my virtue flow out of me. And what did she do? She hid. She was full of shame because she was deceived about God. We're getting to the bottom of some stuff in here. So if you've ever felt shame for something that you shouldn't have felt shame about, it's because you've been taught a lie and you've been deceived about your life. Okay? But don't worry because we're going to get to the healing power to all these. It's, it's blocked off. But we'll, next slide, we'll reveal the healing power. Okay? What destroys these toxic rivers. Okay? Unforgiveness. If you harbor unforgiveness, it's either because you've been, you've been judged unfairly or you are judging unfairly and you can't. So you're, you're, you're a big judger. Like, not you, but I'm sorry I pointed at you. Yeah, there's, there's three pointing back at me, so, right? Uh, you, you're a, you love to judge people. You like to just see people and judge them, and you, so you have a hard time with that. Or you've been judged unfairly, and you cannot forgive the person who judged you. You see that? Rejection. You doubt the love of the Father. Or you have doubted the love of your own earthly father, or your mother, or you doubt the love of people in your uh, the love of people in your life. There's a lot of doubt about love, and so you uh, you feel completely rejected. These are all toxic rivers, but we're gonna we're gonna find healing tonight. Okay, this is a little sad right now, but maybe re- maybe helping actually already some in this some in this room just identifying some of these things, condemnation, which is. Idolatry. So essentially, you know God forgives you, but yet you don't really believe it because you've been so bad. So you can you're, you're, you condemn yourself more than God does. We'll talk about that in a second too. Um, and then there's fear, and fear comes from pain. So in my when my children go get shots with a needle. There was, there was pain the first time, so now they're scared to go to the doctor every single time because there was pain involved. And so now it's, if fear, there's, we're going to go to the doctor. <gasps> Am I going to get a shot? Why is that fear there? It's because they experienced some pain. So there's fear because of pain. So let's talk about some of these before we reveal the healing power of truth. Let me just talk about the first one, and then we'll, we'll reveal all the healing powers. So let's talk about shame. It derives its power from deception. There's a true story of a, um, a, a man, a young man in his 20s, top of his class, um, a star football player, incredible grades, um, graduates from high school, goes to West Point, uh, graduates at the top of his class from West Point, um, just brilliant, athletic, just, I mean, you, to graduate at the top of your class at West Point, you're, you're 
1% of all of humanity, okay? Um, in every area of life, okay? And at the hat-throwing ceremony on graduation day, they're in their, you know, they're, they're dressed whites. They look incredible. Uh, he gets on a one knee. He asks his beautiful girlfriend to, to marry him. She says yes. So this guy's got the perfect life. And they get pregnant, and they find out their baby has Down syndrome. And he completely just... Uh, does it not respond well to this diagnosis? And he does everything in his power to get his wife to get an abortion. And no matter how persuasive and mean or, or, or just the facts he would present, she was strong to say no. And she has the baby. And he is so embarrassed that he had a baby with Down syndrome, that he is hiding her, um, lying about her to his friends about, about her. He is full of, he is so sh- full of personal shame that he considered himself the perfect man, but he created something imperfect. And he thought, that me, me and my wife combined, perfect, two perfect people, we're going to create a perfect child. And this child, that he had plans for his children and ideas for his children and knew he had planned out the path for his children before he even had them. And he, he was deceived by all that nonsense that he thought. So then he was full of shame and he had a, a breakdown moment one day. And he realized what an incredible loser he was for treating his only child like this. So let's reveal the next slide because here's how to fix these things. He realized, wait a second, this is what he realized, and I wrote this down. He had like a rubber meets the road moment, and this is the truth that he realized about her and his life is that it was his job to protect her, teach her, help her, and love her. It hit him one day. That he was a failure as a father and a loser of a human being, and he's never been that before ever. And he decided to rise to the truth, which is I am going to protect her, teach her, help her, and love her. His whole life changed. He had a documentary made about him and his daughter. You can watch it. It's a 30 for 30 on ESPN. So he, he, flipped, he flipped the opposite direction. You can watch it on YouTube if you want. And he got a tattoo on his chest that said Down syndrome all the way across his chest, huge. He decided to run 23 marathons to represent the 23rd chromosome, which was mis, you know, uh, had its, its deform, deformity. And Every single marathon, he was going to try to run shirtless and push his daughter in the stroller for all to see. You see what happens when the truth hits? You are no longer full of shame from the deception and the lies that you believed. This is how you can find inner healing. Truth. Does anybody like that verse in the Bible? You shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is the 
is the, what is it called? The therapy or the medicine or the healing power to shame. Unforgiveness, number two, derives from judgment, but the healing power is grace. Grace. Having grace for others. Having grace for yourself. Any uh, leader who lacks grace we, we have a saying for that. It's um, ever had a leader in your life where they had you on a very short leash and you could, you could barely make a mistake. Um, like I, I walk my dog on a leash. I have a really short leash that I w- walk my dog on, especially when I started training him as a puppy, is because I wanted him to learn he can't go far from me. So I have like this like three-foot-long leash, and I would hold it here, and we would walk, and he could not move more than a foot away from my leg. And I walked him on this leash for over a year. And now I put him on a six foot long leash, but guess where he stays? He stays really close to me. And he never, he doesn't pull me. And, 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 and any, if any leader in your life has you on a really short leash where you can't barely make a mistake, they lack grace for you. And they will lack forgiveness, and you will begin to lack forgiveness too. If you've been raised in an environment like this, maybe your parents raised you in an environment on a very short leash. Maybe you had teachers with really short leashes. You have a boss with a really short leash. You've had coaches with a really short leash, or you had a friend in your life with a really short leash on you. Um, and now what happens is, is that you are, you've kind of messed up in the way that you view life you are concerned about making mistakes. Uh, you don't believe people can forgive you. You have a hard time believing God can forgive you. You are you are raised this way, so you treat others that way too. You're really short with people. Um, you don't. Nobody can be slow. <laughs> nobody can be. Nobody can be faster than you either. You know. And so don't don't go too fast. Don't go too slow. Stay right here. What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's, and then all of a sudden you're late, like you're you'll be like, what is wrong with me? Why am I so mean? Well, it's possibly because um, nobody had grace with you, and so you're struggling to give grace to others. What you want is a leader to put you on a really long leash. <laughs> so you can, you can run around a lot, and the leader can gracefully guide you. A friend can gracefully guide you. A pastor can gracefully guide you about how to do better. How to be? How to be better? And uh, there's really nothing more healing than a leader who puts you on a really long leash and gracefully guides you. It's one of the best healing powers you could receive. That's how Jesus leads us, too, with really long leash, much longer leash than we've ever given anybody else. He gives us the longest leash possible. Amen. Number three, uh, rejection derives from doubt, but the healing power is trust. The healing power is trust. Maybe that's speaking to somebody tonight. Rejection derives from doubt, but the healing power is trust. Maybe right now some of you are, are doubting your, the security of your salvation. You're, you're fearful about your eternity. You know you're saved, but oh, I've done so much wrong. I just sinned today, and I, and I'm probably gonna, I know I'm going to sin tomorrow. And you doubt, uh, and 
you don't trust God's eternal security for your life. That's an issue with a lot of people. Um, Number four, condemnation derives from idolatry. Now, let's talk about this really quickly. Because a lot of people say, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. So what you're saying is, is that you're greater than God. Because if he knew as much as you did, then he couldn't forgive you. So I know more than God. I can't forgive myself for these things. But Romans 8 verse 1 says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Sometimes it helps just say it loud. You're like, it feels, it feels better. <laughs> Some of you are like receiving healing right now. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Hey, I recommend something. Next time you're downtown in a mall in a place with a lot of people, just as strangers pass you, say, hey, you're forgiven. Hey, you're, you're forgiven. Hey, you're forgiven. I guarantee you some of you to say, oh, man, thank you. I really needed that today. I guarantee you. I mean, obviously, you're not God. It's kind of a social joke, but there are so many people walking around who are just beating themselves up for mistakes they've made. You know, here's the thing. Is only perfect people get into heaven. Good luck. That means nobody's going. But Jesus. It's not about you. You're going to get a crown, and what's about you? Jesus is going to give you a crown, and then what are you going to do with those crowns? You're going to give them back to Jesus. Because you're going to realize you did not deserve it. You're going to look at your crown and go, there's no way I earned that. We just did a life review, God. That, I was terrible. I was, a, I was so bad, then you gave me a crown, take it back. It wasn't about you in the end. It was, it's not about you didn't save yourself. Jesus saved you. And you're perfect because of Jesus. Number five, fear derives from pain. The healing power is love. There's a true story of a counselor counseling a woman who was, had agoraphobia, which is kind of afraid to go outside and be anywhere but your own personal home. And it was got so bad for her. She could, she's, this woman could not leave her house, and the counselor was trying a lot to convince her there's nothing to be afraid of out there. There's nothing to be afraid of out there. And it was like to absolutely no success. He, he was getting nowhere with this woman, and he was getting frustrated himself. And uh, he just changed up his counseling and he had a like a a moment of like that's it I'm gonna just change it up and she comes into her his actually I think they're doing it through zoom they're zoom calling because she won't leave her house and uh he just says he says to her hey did you how's your security system in your house she's like "Uh, I don't have one he's like oh that's not good you don't live in a very safe neighborhood she's like you're right I don't He's like, boy, I can't believe you've stayed in the house that long with no security system. You should be afraid of that. And he started sowing fear. 
He started sowing fear into her about her house. And it worked. It worked. She left the house because she got so scared of it. But then she came in for counseling and he said, hey, I tricked you a little bit. You know, there's, there's, there's the outside world and the inside the house. It's all the same. It's all the same. And, and she began to realize that God's love will cover her in the house and outside the house. In the house, outside the house. God loves you in the house. God loves you outside the house. And she began to get healed. She began to realize, okay, she began to figure this out. It's got, this counselor is crazy, folks. You know, Jesus dealt with the crippled man's inner healing first. Jesus does this another time, too, with Peter in John chapter 21. Peter has major internal issues after denying Jesus three times. He, him, and the, him and the ten others, disciples, they, they have abandoned the, the great commission and the, 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 the life that Jesus had called them to. They're out fishing. Jesus is back from the dead. He's on the shore. He's got fish cooking on a charcoal fire. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, <laughs> recognizes Jesus. Peter, I believe Peter jumped into that water and swam to shore because I bet he thought, I want to get my tongue lashing from Jesus without the other ten hearing it. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed in front of my boys. I'm just going to hurry up and get to the shoreline. They're going to take a while to bring up anchor and to row and to row back in. Hopefully there's a little bit of a wind against them, right? I want Jesus to yell at me before me and the boys hear this. He, he rushes to shore. But that's a wrong mindset about Jesus. That's a totally wrong mindset about Jesus. Of course, Peter denies him three times, and Jesus restores him internally three times. Heals him internally. You know, the last time Peter was around a charcoal fire was at Caiaphas' house as he denied Jesus three times, and here's the rooster crows, then he catches eyes with Jesus. Now he's back at a charcoal fire, meeting eyes with Jesus, being healed internally, being restored internally. All that, the, the sights, the sounds, the smells, it's all being fixed. It's all being fixed. Jesus is healing him internally. Jesus loves to heal internally do you know, do you, isn't that great? He's, do, he's done it for so many. He did it for the crippled man who was let down through the roof. He did it for the woman who had the issue with the blood. He, he's doing it now for Peter. Peter, there's hope for us. You know, I was, uh, when I was a young boy, we were at, at church, we were at church on a Sunday morning. And it was actually over there in, in that other building where the kids now meet. And, uh, we were taking communion, and it was a big deal because I had kind of reached the age where my mom and dad had said, hey, you, you can take communion now. You understand what communion is about. We want you to take communion. So this was my first Sunday um, taking communion, and I was sitting next to a knucklehead at church. 
and he doesn't go here anymore, but this kid was a goof-off and a goofball, and whenever I hung out with him, I was a goofball with him, and I was a knucklehead right alongside with him. You know, young boys like knuckleheads, and uh, we all want to be a knucklehead, and so I am, during communion, I'm goofing off. I'm like sitting second or third row, and uh, do you guys remember um, when, when church used to be two large leather thrones slash chairs on the stage where the pastor and his wife sat from start to finish for service. Do you guys remember when church used to have those? That So my mom and dad are on stage, and I'm second row or third row during communion service goofing off. And my dad's on the microphone, and, he, and he's taking communion, and he goes, on the microphone, Lucas, come here, on the microphone. And he's got a voice of not, not a voice of, I'm about to use you for a sermon illustration. No, where like sometimes you get called up for a sermon illustration, right? Hey, Heather, come on up here, help me out with something, right? That, that tone, that voice, that face, no. Lucas, come here. And the whole church got quiet. They all felt the, a strong arm of a father. And they were like, and I went on stage and I remember he like grabbed my arm and pulled me aside and just let me have it verbally about being an idiot during communion. And he says, go back to your seat. And I'm going back to my seat. And he yelled at me in front of everybody. Now, that, that left a mark on me. I never goofed off during communion ever again. But at the same time, I was embarrassed. So embarrassed. And sometimes we think that's, that's how God's going to deal with us. That God's going to punish me in front of everybody. Or Jesus is, is going to uh, embarrass me in front of everybody for all my sins. When that's not how Jesus does it. Jesus is very gracious and kind and loving and long-suffering with us. And if we respond well the first time around, there's no need for a public lashing from Jesus. We're going to end with this, and then I want to worship with you guys. So i got a worship song picked out that we're going to worship to together. But let me end with this last illustration. There was a women's survey taken in this really large, popular magazine. And the question was, is what do you want someone to say to you the most? And number one on the list was, I love you. Number two was, I forgive you. And number three was, dinner's ready. And it's interesting that that was the things because that's a representation of communion. Communion is a reminder that Jesus loves us. Jesus forgives us. Let's eat. Take some bread. Take some grape juice. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. That's, what, that's a representation of heaven. 
that heaven is a welcoming of I love you, you're completely forgiven, and then there's a, there's a banquet, a feast that's being prepared right now. Probably the largest table in the world. Absolutely, right? It's like the Great Wall of China. It just, it just goes through and around heaven and up and down the valleys. And, you know, it, it's just the longest table. And it's the dinner plates are being set. And the silverware and the hot roll buns and rolls and with the butter. And it's, it's, it's a banquet is being set up because... Those are some of the three most important words that we need to hear. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. That's healing, isn't it? That's healing. And that's what Jesus says to us tonight. That's what happens every single time we take communion. We're reminded of the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. Now let's eat. Let's eat. And I want to finish tonight off with this, this worship song. Go ahead, Terry. Just start playing it. And let's stand to our feet. Probably don't have me. Probably don't have time for the whole song. Let's just worship. You surround me. Yes. I'm a child of God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tonight, Jesus. Tonight, we receive healing because we need it. We're courageous enough to say, I am very messed up. And so tonight, Jesus, we ask for healing. Lord, we pray for some of these things right now over people. Lord, we pray right now that the truth would nail people right between the eyes. That we would be overwhelmed with grace. That we would begin to trust you, Jesus, Lord God, that we would begin to worship you, Jesus. Fill us with an overwhelming power of love. Overwhelm us with your love. And everybody said, amen. Amen. We'll be back next week for part two of this series. It's called Let's, this series is called Let's Get Healed. You feeling it? All right. See you next week. Have a great evening.